If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, and if you really want to get ahead of the game, you can maybe uh, put a finger in Jeremiah 23, and then we will end up in Psalm 139. So we're going to be skipping around just a little bit this morning um, because there's so much to learn about our Heavenly Father. But it's refreshing to be here with you all this morning. It's been some time since I spoke from this stage to you all, and I'm, I'm reminded that uh, preaching is uh, easier, or not as easy as it looks. Uh, Pastor Jolly does it week in and week out, and, and we appreciate so much his faithfulness to preach the Word of God in season and out of season, um, and yet we, we respect the wisdom that uh, from time to time, uh, for personal life, for, to keep his sanity, to even have periods of rest and refreshment, uh, it's wise to occasionally uh, take some time out of the pulpit. So thank you, uh, Bob, for the opportunity, and thank you, church, um, for your attention this morning. But I really do mean it. I mean, I'm refreshed to be back here with you all. I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. Um, this is very unusual for me. I've, I've taken about three trips in three months. I uh, did a couple of out-of-state weddings for family members, which was very rewarding. Um, also, uh, it took a bit of, I know this is kind of, sounds kind of strange, but I took a mission trip in some ways to my family. Um, I needed to have some very important um, quality time with some uh, specific family members, even have some spiritual conversations uh, that needed to happen. And it reminded me that, you know, if you're a believer, your most immediate mission field is your family. Um, I personally am a firm believer that the most important people that I impact and I disciple are right in my household, my wife and my two girls. Um, and I hope you feel the same way as you uh, influence others for Christ. But I'll be taking another weekend trip this next weekend. Um, my bride of 15 years, we will celebrate 15 years. Uh, just a quick weekend. Yeah, yeah. She want, she's not in this service, but Aaron uh, will be at the next service. So thankful for the journey God has us on. Uh, but even as I was on these trips, God shows up in some of the um, most interesting places, had a number of conversations about God. I had a chance to talk about God with a guy out on a fishing pier. He ended up being a believer, uh, not necessarily believing everything just like I do, but a, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, uh, really encouraged by that conversation. Uh, another conversation took place on a plane, and I kind of laugh about it. That, that in itself was a bit of a miracle. I was flying out on what I've come to refer to as Germaphobe Thursday. Um, there was this article that was released a couple of weeks ago that um, the headline was meant to grab everybody's attention. When you read the fine print, which was the article itself, there was nothing Nothing major to be concerned about, but the, the headline had everybody, including myself, in a bit of a panic. So I'm flying out early in the morning, and there's masks on a lot of people. And I'm sitting in my chair, and, you know, I've, I've bathed in hand sanitizer. I've brushed my teeth with hand sanitizer. I've, I'm sitting not wanting to breathe and, and not wanting to breathe the air, not even wanting my body to make contact with the seat I'm trying to sit in. Um, and, and I can only imagine the, the startled uh, reaction when the lady who's sitting in the row with me initiates a conversation with me. Um, and, and fortunately, there was some space in between us. 
And, uh, but we had a conversation. Um, she happened to be at a crossroads in her life that she was investigating moving to the city I'd grown up in. Um, and she's from the city that I now live in. And so we had a great conversation. Uh, I ended up getting to pray for her. And um, it was amazing how God worked that. found out that uh, when I arrived, the people that received me had been praying all morning for the, the people that I was going to be sitting with um, for us to have a meaningful conversation about uh, spiritual matters. So amazing how God used that. Uh, but as, even as I prayed with this woman about um, this juncture in her life, I realized you know, not everybody has the same beliefs about God. We can be on two different planets, you might say, spiritually, talking about two different beings. It's either the God of the Bible or some other conception of God. Um, I realized nobody had ever prayed for her. She had never prayed. And so um, it's amazing to me that, that the things that we say about God, the content of our belief about God really does matter. It matters. Um, there's, a, there's an old tale about George Whitfield as he was preaching in England. He was interacting among the people uh, right before one of the sermons that he gave. And he asked a man, he said, now what is it that you believe? And the man said, well, I believe the same thing as my church. And he said, well, what is it that your church believes? And he said, same thing as me. <laughs> so George Whitfield wasn't getting very far. He said, well, what is it that you and your church both believe? And he said, well, I reckon it's the same thing. <laughs> um, what we believe, if we're going to have conversations about God, we need to be clear about what it is, who it is that we are speaking of. Uh, A.W. Tozer wrote this uh, quote when he uh, was writing about the attributes of God. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You may hear that statement and go, well, is it really that important? Is it really that essential? And J.I. Packer puts it into practical matters. He goes a step further. He says, the study of God or theology is the most practical project anyone can engage in. He said, disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. He compares it to almost if you took somebody from their native city, moved them clear across the world and blindfolded them and put them in a totally different city, totally different culture, totally different language, and just expected them to figure things out. We're living in God's world. He's set it up. He's made it. There's a, there's a plan and a purpose. Um, if we don't have a sense of direction and a sense of understanding the world that surrounds us, then we may waste our lives, and many have, without a sense of who God is and his plan and his purpose. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions just to get started thinking about this topic this morning. Uh, number one, when have you felt closest to God? When have you felt closest to God? Maybe that was when you were little. Maybe that was uh, when you were middle. <laughs> maybe that's just recently. Um, maybe that's two weeks ago, two years ago. I don't know. When have you felt closest to God? The next question I'd ask you is, is there a mental image that comes into your mind when you think about God, especially God the Father? Some people, if they're honest, um, if you were to ask many people, maybe they think about Michelangelo's rendering of God, you know, uh, the fingertip touch. You've seen it before 
where God's touching the, the finger of humanity there, um, in that painting. Maybe you think about a, a warlike figure uh, like Thor or something like that from mythology. Or, or maybe you think about a more refined figure like Mr. Rogers. Um, maybe you have in mind the, the billowy white grandfathery figure. Uh, maybe your imagination of God leads you to think more like the genie from Aladdin, uh, who's there to give you every wish, right? Um, some people even have like a sacrilegious view of, of God. Um, I've seen shirts that say like, Jesus is my homeboy, and they think, yeah, he's kind of like the God in my back pocket. He's there for me um, kind of thing. One person even told me that they think of Morgan Freeman when they think about God the Father. And, and clearly that person had seen a particular movie, and that Hollywood scene has now impacted their actual understanding of God the Father. Like, we laugh about that, and, and that's also pretty serious. Like, if we're going to imagine who God is, we need to make sure that our understanding of Him lines up with what He has actually taught in His Word. See, God is so much bigger and more... Uh, unsearchable like to understand God the infinite God of the universe he's gonna have to reveal himself to us and that's exactly what he's done he's actually walked with humanity step by step from Adam Abraham Isaac Jacob Noah all these figures through the, through the Old Testament and revealed more and more and more of himself and they were writing things down. Maybe, maybe you are a non-believer here and you say, well, you're about to take me to the book. Yes, I'm about to take you to the book. Because the book is where God has revealed himself. And then, you know what he did? He didn't just give us the written word. He actually said, you know, it's not enough that I just tell them who I am. I'm going to show them who I am. So he comes on the scene. He pitched his tent among us. He came and dwelt among us. Jesus the, the word made flesh comes and shows us. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, uh, the New Testament writers say, all the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. He is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. But let's, let's look at what Jesus says about his heavenly Father and turn to John chapter 4. To give you some context, uh, this is Jesus early in his ministry. I believe he's there for a purpose um, at a well. And he encounters a woman that he probably knew was going to be there. And he, he uses this analogy, compares and contrasts uh, actual water that will not satisfy with him. And he calls himself the living water. He can give her water that she'll never thirst again. It will satisfy her soul completely and forever. She says, give me this water. I'm, I'd like this water. Uh, he says, go call your husband. And, and uh, he says, she says, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. You, you've had about five that you've uh, been with. And, and she's freaked out. She thinks she, he's a prophet. Um, she starts getting into spiritual things, things that really didn't even matter. She says, you know, you're, you're an Israelite. I'm a Samaritan. Um, we worship on this mountain. You guys worship over on this mountain. And look what Jesus says. Uh, verse 20, he says, uh, she says, 
our fathers worship this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus says to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And then he says, this is worth memorizing. Verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And she says, I, I know that there's a Messiah coming. Uh, he's called the Christ. And when that one comes, he'll reveal everything to us. And he leans in close. And he says, I'm him. The almighty God of the universe gets close to her and says, I'm him. It blows my mind. gives me goosebumps to think about. But when we talk, God, Jesus is saying that God is spirit. He's a spiritual being. And really, when we start to talk about this facet of God's, uh, es it's really talking about God's essence. Um, we're talking of God's essence. In other words, what's he like at his core? Is he made of matter? Is he, uh, can you touch him? Uh, can you smell him? Can you see him? Uh, what is, who is God and what is it that we're talking about? So I've given you some some ammo. Uh, you're going to get a few big theological words in your handout uh, this week. Uh, so we're talking about under God, God's essence, you learn from Scripture that he is self-existent. In other words, uh, he has the ground for existence in himself. He's not dependent on anything else for uh, his being and, and reason for existing. You also learn that he's the eternal God. Uh, this is how his infinity relates to time. He's without beginning or without end. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Uh, he's the cause of time, free from all succession of time. He's the everlasting God. Uh, we also learn that he's a, a one God. There's one God, one Father, one Son, uh, one Spirit, one eternal God, coexisting in three uh, co-equal, co-eternal persons forever. He's different and set apart from everything else, everyone else in the universe. He's not divisible into parts. Uh, the, the Shema, every Hebrew boy memorized this growing up, uh, means here is, is where that word comes from, the Hebrew word for here. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord is one. He's one God, not divisible into parts. And so uh, under God's spirituality, we learn that God is a spiritual substance. He, uh, what do we, how do we define the word spiritual? Um, it's not being limited or defined by a physical nature. He's not defined by a physical nature. In other words, he's immaterial. He does not have a body. He's incorporeal. Um, and, and some people will say, wait a minute, um, what about those passages that say God has, an, he, with an outstretched arm, he saved Israel? Yes, those are there in Scripture. And those are what you call anthropomorphisms. Now, that's a huge word. Here's what it means. It means that for God to reveal himself to humans who have finite minds, it becomes necessary to use human terms that finite minds can understand. So it's attributing human characteristics to, to something that is not human. Does that make sense? 
Yes, and it's okay, guys, during this, as we're talking about these things, it's okay to have some questions. You're never going to fully understand God because he's God, <laughs> all right? Uh, but some people may, may go, oh, so he doesn't have a body. Oh, far out, man. Yeah, he's like an impersonal force, right? An aura. No. Um, if you, as you keep reading in Scripture, you learn he is invisible, John 1.18. He is uh, alive, Joshua 3.10. And he is a personal being with an intellect, a mind. He's, he's got loves and desires, a sensibility. He's got a will and a decision-making choice. He makes choices and does things. Um, he is a personal being. But really what I want to zero in on today are three aspects of God's spirituality. Three aspects that uh, you may know these terms already. Um, these are things you can't understand. Uh, you can understand these things, and you can implement them in your life. I believe every single one of us can be impacted by these truths in a profound way today. Um, so first, God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, all at once. So he can hear your thoughts, your thoughts, your thoughts, your thoughts, all of, all of it at once. And he can be present at this church and that church as we're all meeting for worship. All these, he's there all at once. That'll blow your mind. But it's possible through him. He is God. And Jeremiah 23, 23 says it like this. He says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I don't see him, declares the Lord? You can't play hide and seek with God. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? And so we learn that he's the God who is there. Maybe you're going through something difficult right now, and you need that encouragement that he is there with you. He's with you in it. Now, does this mean that um, God is in the tree or he is in uh, the toilet paper? No, God is not in those things. He is everywhere around us, right? He can, he can be um, looking at the forest from 50,000 feet, and he can also zoom into the most minute detail because he's everywhere, all right? And then there's two aspects. Under, under the fact that God is everywhere present, there's two aspects of this. Hang with me here. This is so practical. Two aspects about God's omnipresence that he's everywhere that, that will blow your mind and encourage your soul. Ready? So the first one is this, that he is transcendent. He is um, immense. That means he's huge. He's distant from the creation. He's big. Um, every single time I preach, I, I know Bob probably has gotten used to this over the years, but every single time I preach, um, I, I'm just blown away how many things go wrong in our family that week leading up to. So I had a, a disaster of a, a water uh, heater just blow up on us in the middle of the night this, this week as I was kind of gearing up for the weekend. And then a sick child on top of that that night. So uh, just craziness. But I had uh, several friends from the church who helped us through this. And one of them helped me actually change out the water heater. And, and we got to talking about this. Uh, Scott Carpenter and I, Scott Carpenter's preaching this same material over for the youth. We were kind of trading texts and discussing God's enormous immensity, that he is so 
huge. Uh, Nathaniel, one of my close friends here at the church who was helping me, uh, he used the analogy of a marble. Uh, and maybe you can see this marble here. It's really, really small. But imagine that this marble is the entire universe. And God, he created it. So, you know, he can just look at it like this and go, yeah, I created that. That's pretty cool. But he can also go in to the marble and get down on our level and, and see and, and speak to us. And, and he is, I mean, does that give you a picture of the size and the vastness of God? He is immense. He is huge, more incomprehensible than we could ever fathom. And we see this in, in Solomon's words. Solomon, as he was dedicating the temple in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, he says this, uh, he's praying that God would fill the temple. Uh, and, and now you may be wondering, okay, well, if God's omnipresent, isn't he there already? Yes. God, uh, Solomon is praying that God would really show up here in this temple, that God would just make his presence so strong that you could almost feel it and sense it, that there would be a potency about God's presence, that God would just dwell there and, and that he would work in that place. That's, that's the kind of thing that we talk about here at our church, and that's the kind of thing that, that uh, Solomon was desiring as he built this temple for the Lord. And so he, he asks God to fill the place, but then he acknowledges. Look at these words in verse 27. He says uh, in chapter 8, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. God's too big to be bound in space. Some of you guys love your space, right? Uh, you like to sprawl out and really enjoy maybe watching a football game or something on the couch, and, and that's your domain. But think about this. I mean, is this not strike a chord with the manliness in you. Uh, God's uh, so immense that he's not defined by space. Space is defined by him. He is outside of time and space, just so enormous. And then finally, I want you to see uh, the, the final aspect of God's omnipresence. Not only is God everywhere present, not only is he transcendent and distant, immense and vast, huge. But he's also, and this is a, a, a word that gets misspelled and misunderstood, imminent. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. There's like four different meanings of the word imminent, four different spellings in the English language, if that's not confusing. But this one, imminent, means that he is close. We're speaking of God's willingness to draw near uh, to be close in proximity and have even a tender concern for his creation, even for some of the most minute details. Look at Psalm 139 with me. And I don't have time to read the whole passage. You ought to read the whole passage. Uh, but just a few verses from Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You examine my path and my laying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Verse 6 says, actually says, I don't think we have that one on the screen, but verse 6 actually says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me 
to take in. It's too high. I can't even attain it. I'm, I'm right there with him. It blows our minds to think about God. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I uh, make my bed in the depths, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness is going to overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He goes on to even talk about how much care God, God was there when he was formed in his mother's womb that God actually knit him together and put together the smallest of details for his life. Can you believe that? That God, the God of the universe, so majestic, full of glory and splendor, vastness, would come that close and that personal with you and with me. Listen, we can talk about these things and it can be very cerebral. It can be very educational. It's, it's great to have our facts and our theology right. But that's really not the goal of, of what we're doing here today. The goal is not to get all your facts straight. The, the goal is for your heart to be transformed. See, a lot of people, the difference between a saving faith and just knowing about God is about 18 inches. The difference between their head and their heart. How does your heart react to this knowledge of God? Let me give you five courageous questions. I believe that every single one of us can be impacted by these truths and can draw nearer to God. Jesus, God says, um, if you want to draw near to me, I'll draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we have that opportunity. But I've given you five, five questions that each of us can ask to draw nearer to God and relate to him more fully. Uh, chances are there's going to be one question that you need to really zero in on. So even as I read out these five, I want you to think about what is the one question that I need to answer. All right? The first one is this. If you're really honest before the God of the universe who's with you by your side even now, is God's presence more of a comfort or discomfort to you? A lot of people will say, man, it's actually a discomfort. And there may be some sort of reason behind that. What's the reason? Is it disbelief? Is it anger or resentment from something that's happened? Maybe God only exists in your mind to accept blame. Perhaps there's fear or shame or unworthiness. Is it a comfort or a discomfort to you and why? Second question is this, am I worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Am I understanding him as he is? I'll admit I have a tendency to think about God as far more distant and forget that he cares about even the things that I pray for. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you remember that he is close and near but you forget that he's the all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe. Are we worshiping him as he is? The next question is this. 
If God is always present everywhere and therefore right here with me always, what is honestly stopping me from being close to God? I'm not talking about proximity. I'm talking about relationship. What are the barriers between me and him that can come down? What's stopping me from being close to God? Number four, am I running from him or hiding from him? Is there something I'm hiding from God? We already talked about, I mean, we are way too quick to forget a very sobering fact that you and I live our entire lives right before the eyes of God. And so there's no secrets that we can keep from him. You know what secrets do? They put us in bondage. They keep us enslaved. And so wouldn't the, the most sense-making thing be to be honest, to let go of those things, to be honest with him, with yourself, and maybe even the people that you love so you can be free? The final question is this, and this is really a question for believers. How can I experience the joy of his presence daily. Bob read that verse earlier, Psalm 16:11 that says, "In his presence is fullness of joy." And so how can I interact with God in prayer throughout my day? How can I uh, be more conscious that he's present with me? If I'm a believer, how can I carve out time intentionally to just sit alone with him for maybe 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes and hear from his word? And talk to him in prayer. Today, if you hear my voice, I ask that you trust him. Don't run from him. Run to him. Because the almighty God of the universe, who's powerful, immense, and vast, who will blow your mind, you cannot fully understand him. He leans close to each of you. And he says, I love you. I care about you. I know everything that's going on in your world. And I just want you to trust me.